Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. I'm Chris and Tom's back this week. Hello. Uh, and we're very happy to say we're joined by, I'm going to just go with automotive journalist and uh, co-host of the Donut Racing Show podcast and co-author of Racing with Rich Energy, among many other things, uh, Elizabeth Blackstock. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's very exciting, uh, very, very new. <laughs> It's much more interesting than the normal third person we have. <laughs> um, Ashes, do you sent a question for you this week, so he's still involved in one way or another. Beautiful. We're ready. Um, we'll do a bit of newsy stuff first, because despite the massive drought of F1 right now, there is a few things going on. Uh, first up, Carlos Sainz is getting his, well, preliminary hearing for the Australian Grand Prix penalty that Ferrari are trying to get overturned. They're having a hearing tomorrow, so probably today as you're listening to this, uh, where Ferrari are going to need to present a significant and relevant new element of evidence in order for mm. the FIA to even consider um, looking at the penalty, which as much as I don't think it should have been a penalty in the first place, I think they're going to struggle to present anything particularly new. I was going to say, if they've already decided that and they want something significant and relevant, I don't think that exists i feel like they would have seen that already yeah it's not like they've got alex albon to send around in a couple of year old car like <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess you missed the australia episode tom like were you in agreement with me and Stu that that penalty just seemed a bit over the top and unnecessary i mean yeah especially when it's technically a race restart like there's the whole thing that we have with lap one incidents and especially turn one incidents get reviewed a little bit differently because of the way the packs bunched up. So I was a bit disappointed that that seemed to kind of got forget forgotten about in Carlos's side of things. Like had it been like one-on-one -on -one racing and it was a bit of a lunge, then yeah, fair enough. But yeah, yeah, it, it just seemed harsh for considering the situation, but we've, we've seen stranger things. <laughs> So strange things in that race many times. Well, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, next, way more interesting than that is McLaren's Indy 500 liveries. Have you both seen these? Oh, they're gorgeous. Yes. They're, they're so, so gorgeous. good. So good. So McLaren have I, kind I... of just, they've decided that they have the triple crown because they've won the three races at different points in time, which is, I guess, stretching the definition of triple crown, but we'll give it to them. <laughs> The team's triple crown. Yeah, it counts. Good enough. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Felix Rosenquist is going to be running a tribute to the MP42, which is the car Alan Prost won uh, Monaco with in 84, which is, well, it was the white and red Marlboro livery, but they're doing sort of a white and papaya version of it, which is mm -hmm. such yeah. a good idea. Such it's a cool slick. way of doing it. It's slick. really yeah. good. Uh, then Rosenquist, is, sorry, then Award is running a all-black livery, which is representing the McLaren F1 that won Le Mans in 96. And then Rossi has a sort of more closer to their current livery, all papaya, which is for the Johnny Rutherford Indy 500 winner in 74. And they just look so good. I'm so impressed. I'm I'm so glad that they did it. I love a good like tribute livery that is done well and updated properly. So like, this is just, oh, as soon as I saw those, I was like, all right, there's, <laughs> I try not to pick favorites, but <laughs> I have very strong feelings about McLaren that go 
both ways. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I'll give him I'll I'll throw him a bone on this one. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. It makes me wish even more that F1 did. I can't remember what they call it in NASCAR when they have a race that's like, is it like throwback liveries yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. everybody the, the just runs ones. classic liveries. Yeah, yeah, I'd love yeah. F1 to do something like that. They wouldn't, they, it'd be too much fun. We can't have that much fun in Formula One. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Plus it feels like every time an F1 team actually does that, they just have the worst race. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. they probably wouldn't yeah. want to anyway. It's, it's as bad as the Netflix case having a throwback livery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then they're also running a fourth car this year for Tony Canan. He's doing his 21st Indy 500, which he says will be his last. I feel like he's said that. I was going to say, how many Tony Canan retirement yeah. tours have we yeah. gone on? I've been there for quite a few of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've not said what car he's running. So I don't know if he just doesn't get a special livery or they're going to give him his own reveal nearer the time. But yeah. I'm really excited for the 500 this year. And also I realized over the weekend that we have a bank holiday in the UK the day after Ooh. it. So I can safely stay up and watch it all and not worry about um, getting up early for work. The next That's week. nice. Which, which weekend does it fall on this year? Uh, same day as Monaco. Monaco. So it's the same as usual then. Yeah, it's like the 20, 28th, is it? 27th? Yeah, 28th. Yeah. 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 Very much looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be there and I'm very excited. Oh, I'm so jealous. Um, one day, then, Chris. One, one day. We will make it there one day. <laughs> and the last, like, vague newsy bit this week, and it is pushing the definition of news, um, we're getting towards the deadline for the new entries for the 2025 to 2027 um, F1 uh, grids. Uh, Zach Brown has piped up, as he likes to do, to say he reckons there's going to be three to four applications. Um, obviously, we already know about Andretti Cadillac. We spoke about Formula Equal the other week and all of the bizarreness around that. Mm. Apparently high-tech have expressed some interest. There's Panthera Asia, which is um, sort of a, yeah, it's, it's a, I forget the guy's name, but he's like an ex-motorsport journeyman type guy mm. who's gone and found a load of backing in Asia. Apparently there's a billionaire in Hong Kong that's kind of interested in putting money in. Um I mean, how much of this is actually going to come to any fruition? I mean, there's there's talk now that the whole anti-dilution fee might be going up from 200 million to 600 million, which is just feels like a roundabout so way of saying, money. actually, we don't want any new teams. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I, so I've been. I've been very upset about that. That's I don't know. Just let them in. What's the worst that could happen? They're not going to be worse than Andrea Moda. We've already gone through like some of the worst histor historical races. Mm. Like they're going to pay yeah, that much like, money just to get in. They are going to be fine. Just, exactly. Like it's too much. Years ago, you could just turn up with a car you've cobbled together for like a few grand and kind of have a go, and it's just not possible anymore. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how? Like, what do you reckon to the whole Andretti Cadillac thing, Elizabeth? Like. Like from reporting on this side of the world has mm -hmm. kind of leaned more in the sort of F1 just need to kind of stop being so up themselves and just let them in kind of vibe. I'm guessing it's a similar. It's very similar. I've definitely, I think I wrote a story like exactly titled like Formula <laughs> One doesn't care about America if it doesn't want Andretti <laughs> to come in. So it's, it's very much on the similar boat of like, yes, we have an American team in Haas, but like it's, 
like pseudo American kind of that mm-hmm. it's you know um, Andretti has yeah. this legacy that I think people really want to see in Cadillac as well within America and it, it would benefit F1 to have that they are a legitimate bid they have put in the time and effort and they've built a whole facility just for for building their uh, open wheel program so I don't understand why there's such a stink about it in F1 other than they maybe they think that Andretti will be too good and they don't want to get beaten at their own game <laughs> which is a nice compliment but also like come on yeah and it's like if anyone can do it Andretti yeah. is like one of the names in motorsport like if they mm-hmm. can't do it I yeah. don't think anyone other than a big manufacturer can exactly exactly yeah and they got a Cadillac like the, come on Ugh. Yeah. It gets me it gets me all hyped up. <laughs> Again, it's not like they're just kind of newcomers like trying it on. Like it's a, yeah. this is established names we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems very short sighted, doesn't it? I mean what's what's it, it kind of been like from your point of view seeing the growth of F one sort of over there in the last few years? It's nuts. Uh my first ever <laughs> race was the twenty fourteen US Grand Prix. And the Friday crowds that we get now uh, for the U.S. Grand Prix are way bigger than the Sunday crowds used to be back in 2014. Uh, We'd show up on a Friday and it would be like we had the circuit to ourselves. Um, It's really wild. I was just there for MotoGP this past weekend and I went around and like just talked to people and about half of the people that I spoke with we're just there because they were like, yeah, I heard about racing through drive to survive. I just got into it and the tickets were pretty cheap and I wanted to come see what this was about. So it's like, it's super exciting. It's great for me because I am now extremely employable. uh, And everyone wants me to (laughs) say words about race car. Uh, But like just from the fans perspective as well, like I like racing. I'm glad that we have more of it. I don't necessarily agree with the, uh, the street circuit vibe that F1 is going for, but Mm -hmm. they're certainly making an effort. Yeah. I was going to say like, obviously there's three races there now. And Mm -hmm. Austin is like, in my opinion, one of the best tracks on the calendar now. It's a phenomenal circuit. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you can have two more tracks, but you get like an NFL stadium car park and then whatever the Vegas circuits are going to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I talked, there's a little waste. teaser. I talked to someone recently about doing a piece on, um, I guess the longevity of the fan interest in Miami. And most of the people that I've talked to who went last year have no interest in returning. Um, just didn't feel like they got the value for their money kind of thing. Yeah. Like it was just so expensive to sit in a parking lot. Yeah, Las Vegas, you're paying 500 bucks for general admission to watch on a TV screen. Like, come on. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was Caesar's Palace, like a room yeah. that normally costs you something like a couple of hundred dollars a night is going to cost like five grand or something. Yeah. Like, Yeah. They have multi-million dollar packages that they're selling. Like, just yeah. insanity. It's ridiculous. I mean, they, and they clearly mean business. Like, F1 are building mm-hmm. a bespoke, like, center there. Like, they intend to stay. Yeah, they've but. been talking about signing a 10-year deal, but that's 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 really hopeful, honestly. I don't yeah. know if you're going to get that many people interested in year three and four. <laughs> no. It's, uh, not at the price, Mm-mm. definitely not. I Absolutely think not. I think that's, that's the deciding factor there because mm-hmm. I'd love it. I'd love to go back to Las Vegas and watch the Formula 1 at the same time, but... Mm-hmm. 
I can't afford the prices that those rooms are during that money. weekend. Yeah, no. and it's, it's going to be the same, like, even even hotels that aren't, like, part of the what will be part of the circuit, their prices are going to be inflated for similar reasons for people, mm-hmm. like, being there for the event and stuff. So, yeah, it just it makes it really unaffordable for yeah. the... I think that, that was something really interesting you pointed out, though, uh, Elizabeth, about the people at the MotoGP mm-hmm. when you've been there, like, basically saying... You know, I've found out about racing through a different form of racing and it yeah. like it's sort of I've seen the appeal in it. Yeah. And because these motorbike event tickets were so cheap, I've decided to come <laughs> and check it out in person. Mm-hmm. And that probably says a lot about what other sport other forms of motorsport can do better. Yeah. Whereas F one it always feels like a cash grab when it comes to tickets. It's very yeah. rare unless you go to some of the European countries that like mm-hmm. don't run the Euro. Tickets are expensive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we've seen a lot here in America where this rising tide has lifted everyone. So IndyCar has seen viewership increases. NASCAR has seen viewership increases. People are interested in just consuming some version of racing. And F1 is going to shoot itself in the foot if it makes all of these races in America so unobtainable. Like, I can go to an IndyCar race and for, like, $500 I can get the flight the hotel, the tickets, and also a paddock pass. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. We we sort of have a similar thing with Silverstone, though, mm-hmm. don't we, Chris? Like we we literally plan to go to races somewhere in Europe mm-hmm. because you can fly there, yeah. probably stay there, and get like a general admission weekend ticket for not that much more than just the Silverstone weekend ticket. Yeah, we basically had a insane. holiday in Budapest for what would have been yeah. the price of going to Silverstone, which is like a few hours away yeah. from us. It's yeah. I priced yeah, it out. Five, it would be nights. cheaper. It would be cheaper for me to fly to Austria and go to the Austrian Grand Prix <laughs> than it would be for me to go to Vegas. So that's go. what we're working with here. Yeah. I'll see you in Austria then. <laughs> <laughs> I would love I went in twenty fifteen. I've been dying to go back ever since. It's high on my list for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, yeah, and Wes in the Discord chat just pointed out there's not even any support races in Vegas either. Like, what, what? No. It's all that money and you literally will get a handful of F one sessions. The thing that there's so much that bothers me and I could probably rant about this all day. Uh, but when you buy a ticket, you're buying a ticket to an area. So like your grandstand, you can only go to your grandstand and like some other spots right around it. You can't like if your friends in grandstand A and you're in grandstand C, you can't walk over to see them. You don't mm. like what? What? That's so it's just blows my mind. Like. I understand it's a street circuit. I understand the logistics, but no other street circuit has that where no. you like can't access other parts of the track from your spot. Yeah, yeah like pay all that money to get treated like cattle for a weekend. Like, I'm paying two thousand dollars. <laughs> I want to see the whole dang track. Yeah. I want to be able to buy a beer in the far corner. Yeah, right. So weird. I mean. I'm, I I feel like it's one of those races that's way more impressive on TV than it ever yeah. will be in person. And I think F1 yeah. has that problem in general. Yeah. <laughs> but that's I feel like Vegas is just going to like hammer that home so hard. It's going to look gorgeous <laughs> on TV. And yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like from the grandstands. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of changes for year two, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the track as well, because that track does not look good. I know. It's, there's a lot a lot of decisions were made and a lot of people signed off on this and i have yeah. a lot of questions 
<laughs> none of them have ever seen a motor race ever. Absolutely not. <laughs> or organized no. one at least. <clears throat> um, that's about all that's going on right now. We're in this such a, such a weird. We just ended with like a spring break in F one for <laughs> yeah <laughs> unexpected like, for, reasons. For a season with so many races, it's odd that we've had such a big gap so early in the season. Yeah. Well, this yeah, was supposed to be China, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's it. probably part of it, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah that, I thought they would fill it out, but they didn't. Yeah. Mm. For, for all we complained about the length of the calendar a few months ago, <laughs> it's got to this three-week gap and we're like, come on, guys. <laughs> where's all the racing? <laughs> Why don't they just throw another one in America? They keep just showing yeah, up Yeah, just here. have another one. Fine. Just, just go to Watkins Glen. It's what everybody exactly. wants anyway. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like they'll throw a uh, grade A license at any track that wants F1 and has enough money these days. So surely Watkins Glen can go on. I was gonna say, did yeah. you see with the the GT car that ended up in the grandstands at Portimao yeah. this weekend? That's a grade that's, one track. That's what, do you do? what do you mean yeah. it's a grade one track if a car can end up in a grandstand? That's messed up. Properly terrifying. There's calls mm-hmm. in the chat for Portland as well. She's getting a Formula E race this year, which I'm quite excited for. I I am going to that as well. And I'm so, like, I've been meaning to go to Portland for ages, like, just because I want to go. But I can't, like, justify it for the IndyCar race because I live in Texas (laughs) and Texas Motor Speedway is right here. So I'm not, like, I'm not going to go fly to Portland for that. But I was like, I will go to Portland for Formula E because it's the only (laughs) one in America. So I have justified that to myself. (laughs) That's good. Portland's very cool. Hmm. I enjoyed the half a day I had in Portland before I found I had COVID and oh. had to stop enjoying Portland. Oh, that's <laughs> so, so sad. Go. So I'm hoping Formula E gets a second year there because then that'll that be an be excuse awesome. for me to go back next year. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's move on to more interesting things and talk hmm. about the book that you wrote, Racing yes. with the Trinity. Um, oh so for anyone who kind of doesn't know the gist, you want to just kind of intro it and what it's yeah, all about. So back in 2019, we had our wild sponsor for the Haas team, Rich Energy, which is a British energy drink startup company that of dubious origin, I guess we could say, uh, kind mm-hmm. of sort of had some some product, but not really. Uh, so my coworker and I, Alanis King, decided we wanted to figure out exactly what this, this whole thing was. Uh, and we hunted down the the money and the history and tried to talk to as many people as possible and ultimately ended up coming together with a a book length project that I cannot actually believe is published. It's still very (laughs) surreal. Yeah, it was, the whole thing was so strange because it was like you were watching it it unfold so publicly in real time. The pop-off on Twitter, William Story, the company CEO, really loved a good spicy tweet. Uh, that yeah. man had still no does. filter. Yeah, he still does. <laughs> but now it's not does. impacting his Formula One team, where he, you know, tweets that he has ended the contract, and actually, no one yeah. has heard about that before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> chaos after chaos. Yeah. Was there like a specific moment where you were like, someone needs to write a book about this? Like, this is ridiculous. So it was very interesting. Um, back in. February of 2020, exactly like a week before the world shut down, I was leaving my full-time job at Jalopnik because I was in grad school full-time as well, and it was just too much going on. So my last day, we get an email from a literary agent who says, I just watched Drive to Survive. I just found 
your coverage of this because no one else was really covering rich energy in the depth that Alanis and I were at Jalopnik. Uh, and he was like, do you want to write a book about this? So me, who has just, you know, stepped away from a full-time job to have more free time to focus on my grad school career, decided, yes, absolutely. Let's sign up. Let's go do this. <laughs> um, so we, we signed up. The world fell apart. Everything, everything happened. Um, the literary agent ghosted us and after we cool. signed a bunch of contracts. So we had a, a proposal written. So for a nonfiction book to market that out, you have to have like a hundred page proposal composed of like a synopsis of your book, outlines of all the chapters, all of the sources you intend to use, uh, your biography. So we had, we had this done and this guy just decides, you know, hey, he doesn't want to hang out anymore. Uh, so we, we found McFarland, who has published a lot of really great um, books about automotive and motorsport history. And we were like, please, do you want to buy this book? Like, we've started writing it. <laughs> please take it. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. So that it, it wasn't really a we thought it would be a good idea to write a book. Someone else did. And then they changed their mind. And then we, we were like, well, we've got a book. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And like, how's reception been since? Like, it felt like there's a period of time where just like everyone on F1 Twitter was talking about reading it. Like, the second I saw it was happening, it was like, yes, yeah. I need to read this. It It's still really mind-blowing. Um, the reception has been great, I think, from a lot of the people who knew the saga and wanted to know more about it or who were just like getting into F1 have found it especially interesting. Like, people reach out and say very nice things. Um Again, like it's very surreal to me uh, as a woman on the internet. Usually, the feedback's <laughs> not great, <laughs> uh, but in this case, it was uh, it was really nice. Um, obviously, like there were a lot of holes in the story that we weren't able to fill just because we couldn't verify some of the things we had heard. We tried to get three sources for every fact that was in the book. Mm -hmm. um, some of them that were especially spicy, like no one wanted to go on the record and admit to some of these things. So yeah. there may be a follow up one day when NDAs expire and everyone can <laughs> finally open up. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been really nice. We, Alanis and I had kind of an informal signing last year at the US Grand Prix. Um, and so many nice people turned out. Like I'm still <laughs> friends with a lot of the people who came to get autographs, which again, weird to me that someone wants my signature on <laughs> something. <laughs> Um, mm. no, but it, it was, it was really nice. Uh, it, it made me really happy. We, we put in three years of work on the book. Uh, so to see it kind of pay off, uh, with good positive feedback was, it was very nice. Yeah. That's super good. cool. I mean, you mentioned there about people having NDAs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like how easy was it to actually get three sources for each bit of, like, you know, you're saying you, you wanted that, like how easy was that process? It was a little challenging uh we we tried to kind of go around it in certain ways so if we had someone say something we would kind of broach that subject in a roundabout way with someone else so we interviewed five different employees at Haas who were part of the team during the rich energy saga and a lot of like we to verify who they were they all chose to go anonymously in the book uh, but they sent us all of their work history tax forms you know scan cards for getting into the shop kind of thing and we would verify certain facts based on like you know one of them told us like we only really got a case of rich energy and that was the only thing we ever saw of it so when we would ask other people and we talked to other employees we would 
you know, ask how much rich energy did you get? How many cans did you see? What did you, what were you provided with? They could then confirm that. And so we could work with it that way. Some of it was a lot more challenging because of uh, NDAs. There were a lot of, um, there was talk. We, we could say as far as this, that there was talk that Rich Energy was looking to become a primary sponsor of a current Formula One circuit, but we couldn't get anyone else to go on the record to confirm that. And we couldn't hmm. find anyone else who's willing to go off the record to talk about it. So we couldn't say which one it was, which was really frustrating. Um, so a, a lot of stuff like that, where it's like you get really great tidbits, but you just sit on them and hope someone else can say something. Um, we probably could still be working on this based on the amount of people who've reached out afterward. And we're like, okay, you weren't trying to screw anyone over. Um, you weren't writing a puff piece for rich energy. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there were a lot of like a lot of moving parts with that one, trying to reach out to people and talk to them. Yeah. And like, again, you're saying it wasn't a puff piece. Like you, yeah. you did have some sort of contact with William's story, but it kind of, from the book, it kind of feels like that hit a kind of very abrupt end. Like, do you, yeah, yeah. Did you get a feeling why that was the case? <laughs> um, so it's a, it's very fascinating the the psyche of this man. Uh, yeah, we, what's it even like trying to talk to him? So I didn't. I was not blessed with the phone call interview that we conducted. <laughs> uh, Alanis took that, so that was part of our very first story that we wrote in April of 2019. She talked to him on the phone for about 45 minutes and basically got his whole spiel of like, we rich energy is totally legitimate. We have products. You just can't find them because you're not in the right spots. Uh, all of you know, the whole thing, the whole shebang. Um, he like followed both of us on Twitter. He was aware of the concept of the book. He had to be, we've talked about it so much. This man had to know. So we sent we had a list of questions for this man, like hundreds and hundreds of them. We sent him an email and we never got a response um, because after the whole like F1 deal imploded, he kind of backed away from providing any critical uh, coverage. So he's had some interviews since then, but not from us. And he was aware that yeah. the two of us were trying to poke the bear and get information out of him <laughs> that, and we were aware that he would kind of talk around the subject. So we knew mm. his games. He never responded to our email. And I was like, well, he follows us on Twitter. So like, why don't I just send him the list of questions? So introduce like, hey, how's it going? Just want to let you know we're writing this book in case you don't know, which you probably do. <laughs> anyway, here's our question. So I sent, it had to go in like three different messages because there were so many characters. <laughs> and he has red <laughs> receipts on. So he saw it, we know he saw it, and we know when he saw it, but he did not respond. So Man. that was his bad. That was have you had anything, yeah, have you had anything from like the company itself in a more formal thing since the book's come out? No, no, we, we didn't get anything even from the company at the time. Again, like we reached out, we tried to get quotes and stuff, and even just to like confirm some little facts, like we tried to ease them into it a little bit if it, if that makes sense like throw them a little yeah. like we just want to confirm is it true that you sponsored this person at this time um so they just never wanted to play ball which i understand i get it um <laughs> <laughs> i didn't hold it against them but 
it would have been a lot more fun if they had actually like gotten combative or had justifications <laughs> or whatever the case may be. But I guess that's another weird thing. It's like, where does the blurred line between him and the company even lie? Like how much more of a company yeah. is there? And like, are <laughs> oh you talking boy. to him? Are you talking to someone else? It's so, so I spoke to a sim racer named Azzy Iredale. Azzy was sponsored by Rich Energy through William Story. Azzy never actually was sponsored by the company. So when they reached out to the company, Rich Energy, to say, hey, I was promised like kind of a care package with some drinks and some merch. Never got it. Where is it? What's going on? The person who works at Rich Energy and is supposed to be in charge of those things had no idea that this person had actually been signed wow. on and was a Rich Energy like alumni. <laughs> so it was... It was really funny to kind of see where like William Story had his own little dealings and his own goings on that he yeah, was partaking yeah. in and it did not ever cross the radar of the company itself. So bizarre. Yeah. It was it was fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um if there was like one thing you wish you could have actually got like a straight answer from him on, what would it have been? Oh, that's a good question. No one's asked that one before. <laughs> hmm. I guess I I just want his actual legitimate thought process behind why he thought he would be good in F1. Like, mm. I, I think that's the most perplexing part is that he had some very minor sponsorships that he'd worked with before. Um, but all of a sudden it was like, I'm ready to make the leap from sponsor sponsoring extreme scooter riders to a Formula One team. Mm. And like what I just want to know, like, where did the business plan come from? Who did he talk to? Who were his hype mm. men? Someone had to be telling him this was a good idea. Uh, yeah. I also just want to ask, like, the Haas team, like they said they did their due diligence multiple times regarding the sponsorship, but I they never once told us what that meant, um, and yeah. I want to I want to know what their parameters were because I feel like if they had seen what we were seeing, they probably wouldn't yeah. have thought that this company had multi like many millions of dollars. I mean, I remember us being dubious when it was just a rumor, let alone mm -hmm. when it was like an official thing, um, because. Even like back then, it was even harder to mm -hmm. find any information on them. And you like look them up on things like Companies House that we have here, which yeah. is like for business registrations. And you know, according to the books, I mean, it doesn't necessarily tell you the whole story, but according to the books, they had like ten thousand pounds in the bank. Yeah, and like it was not no, an no, no assets. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. uh, that, but then. I mean, I'd, you probably know all this. I'd stop me if you do. But like, <laughs> there's so many like little holding companies and separate companies that use that name, mm -hmm. and so many other people involved other than him. That again, yeah. as has that would ring alarm bells for me immediately from doing that little bit of digging. Yeah, exactly. Not, you not look to up, mention what else they've done. You look up this man on <clears> Company's <throat> house, and you're able to see his trail of dead companies that never really got yeah. off the ground and all of the people tied up in those companies were pretty much tied up in his rich energy bid for formula one like mm -hmm. at some point i feel like it should have raised a red flag like this yeah. guy tried to start an led lighting business and it never happened he tried to start like a computer business and it never happened and for some reason all of these same people now struck gold 
seems a little skeptical. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, like, reading the interviews you did with some of these former Hass employees, like, it, it's kind of a little sad at times to see how they just sort mm-hmm. of, the job they love kind of, changed around them like do you think there's still damage that was done that has to still feel the effects of absolutely um i think the main thing we got was a shaken sense of confidence from the employees regarding their employer mm-hmm. uh you never you're not going to get the best work out of anyone if they feel like they're not going to have a job or they're worried about longevity or whatever the case may be. Um, A lot of the people we spoke to, some were still at the company, some had left, some had left motorsport entirely. Um, But there were a lot of those kind of lingering after effects. And if you're putting in like 18 hour days trying to make a car work and seeing things implode on the sponsor side on Twitter, like that takes an emotional, mental and physical toll. And I think that was the main thing that we got was like, those people were not going to be the same and they weren't going to be able to like do the best work that they possibly could. They weren't going to be able to help. Um, and they won't, they didn't really want to stay with Haas, some of them, which like entirely understandable. If my yeah. employer was falling to pieces in front of me and I was worrying about, you know, am I actually getting a paycheck every time I went to work? Uh, I would, I would also be a little upset. Um, I think some of that still lingers within the company uh, today as it's not quite as bad as it as it was because they at least have some structure now. They've they've got some at least what seem to be legitimate sponsors um, Mm -hmm. who are able to kind of support them and and give give them a backbone and a structure. But that's not something you can just kind of like wipe away. That's something that's going to take a while to kind of revive from. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about Haas being kind of an American F1 team, but not really. Like, the one American Formula One team, like, should be an open goal for getting sponsors. And I know. It yeah. just doesn't seem to be the case for them. But No. I, Again, like, of... Gene Haas has stated his intention with the company and with, excuse me, with Formula One was to promote his company, Haas Automation. But again, like, that's a lot of money for a marketing endeavor that you don't have to front the bill of. Your name is still on the car. Your name can still be the biggest thing on there. And you can still get money from other people. But, I don't know, Gene Haas also went to jail for tax fraud. So perhaps perhaps (laughs) there is (laughs) some hesitance. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think like F1 has like as a whole learned much from all of this? Because like obviously there's a massive history of dodgy sponsors. Like there's literally a whole chapter of your book of just <laughs> here's a bunch of dodgy sponsors. But like it feels like now it's just been replaced by weird crypto stuff that just comes and goes. And like mm-hmm. it, it, comes, that, it's, it comes in waves, I think, where it's like you get a lot of people who are confidence men. Uh, And you're always going to have that in Formula One. You're never going to be able to escape that because this is a high stakes game. You're playing with millions and millions of dollars and ultimately someone is not going to have the money they promised. Um, I think Formula One probably learned how to handle the publicity aspect of it. Um, Perhaps. I don't think they're ever going to be able to really deal with this like as a as a 
structural issue and get rid of like having dodgy sponsors. Um, but the big thing that differentiated Rich Energy was the fact that it was so public and you got to hear every side of the story, yeah. specifically William's stories uh, being blasted onto social media at all times. Um, I think they probably will have something to say about that. I'm sure there's probably some rule tucked into the FIA rule book now about, you know, sponsor conduct or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're never, I don't think we're ever going to get away from that. It's, that's just what racing is. Like you, when you are desperate for a lot of money, you'll take it. Even if it's, you know, you have to ignore all of the red flags that you're seeing. Yeah. It makes you wonder how many like marketing and social media people in F1 sort of ask for a pay raise after all the rich energy stuff like this. This is <laughs> why you employ me. I would have. I felt <laughs> so bad for the Haas PR fellow that we talked oh, to man. at the time. This man got hundreds of emails from us and it was like, hi, buddy. No, you're not going to answer, but <laughs> we just have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Worth trying. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day he'll say something. You never know. <laughs> The, the big the big question of all of this is did william ever send you a can of rich energy he did not no okay but i did oh. buy some uh they had it on wholesale at i think i got it at walmart you could buy it uh but you could only have it like shipped to you so i bought a case and then i had friends who bought a case we always go camping up at watkins Glen for the six hour imsa race uh and we had a friend show up with like mm-hmm. a 48 pack so we drank that weekend was rich energy it wasn't bad it wasn't bad it was yeah it was an energy drink we 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 had some on the show and it was just like it was just like really weak red bull like just like you said just cheap energy drink yeah that's all it was we got ours because someone on reddit got really curious and just bought one of the big like 24 packs because they just wanted to see and try it and then they were like yeah i bought this i tried it it's fine now I've got yeah. 23 cans I don't want. Does anybody want any? <laughs> <laughs> so we just like sent him the postage cost for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, again, like if I had bought that and I didn't take it to the racetrack, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. Like I'm not an energy drink mm. person. So <laughs> I like wanted to try it, but they only sold it in the big cases. So <laughs> I was like, whatever, I will make the sacrifice and then we can all drink it in the morning when we're hungover. <laughs> and it was great for I that. I actually think... <laughs> I actually think it might have been someone in our Discord. One of their friends actually saw some cans for sale in like a tiny shop somewhere recently. And they had just like five or six of them and they were all about to go out of date. They'd been sat there so long. <laughs> the, it, the, the guy running the shop was probably just curious to say, yeah, probably. I want to taste it too. What am I going to do with these other 23 cans? <laughs> and I'll put them in the shop. <laughs> That's all one fan out there put in the order for it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, was, I, there's an interesting point to that that we sort of touched on before, which is like he was obsessed with beating red bull and being better than red bull like yeah. he was like my drink is better than theirs and my team will be better than theirs at any point in talking to him did you sort of get any kind of insight i suppose maybe it's more of a question for alanis with it being heard at the interview but like i don't know did, like, did you get a, any kind of vibe from him on why he was so obsessed with that taking the sword to them specifically well i think the main thing was honestly like I'm not really sure if I think that he really believed it, but 
Mm-hmm. I almost think he talked himself into believing that, if you, that makes sense. Um, yeah. That was just the kind of person he was. He was hyperbolic. He liked to talk and promote his product in very bombastic ways. So it, Red Bull was the obvious target. Again, there was no evidence that he would actually ever be able to do that. Um in any way, shape, or form, like Haas was fine, but Haas wasn't going to jump from like a fourth place finish to being a championship contender thanks to some money from an energy drink sponsor. That's just not how racing works. Um, but that that was just part of what he wanted to say. Like his prior push, he wanted to buy Force India when the company was going into administration. His push there was he wanted to be the savior. And he had kind of a little something for every Every time he tried to buy into a team, there was some big, this like self-important kind of push for it. And I think that was kind of what he got with Haas was like, I'm an energy drink. I can beat the other energy drink. No, sir. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's it's kind of terrifying as well how close he came to Williams. Like, I I don't know. know if Williams would have survived that had that actually happened. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like that was something when Alanis and I were looking into that part of it, it was like, that's probably for the best that he stood Claire Williams up at dinner uh, and just didn't show up because that team probably wouldn't exist anymore. And that would be really sad. Like they're obviously not the same family run team they used to be, but they still have a very important history that I think, you know, I'd like to see preserved. Yeah. Yeah. God, I, I desperately want Williams to be better. I know. <laughs> it's, it just makes me so sad. Um, should we should we dip into the inbox for some listenery questions? Ooh. Yeah, that could be a good time. Which means we get to see you react in real time to our inbox jingle, which is always a treat. Oh, you, want, you want the jingle too? Oh, of course of we need course. the jingle. Of course. Keep it saying now. That's so cute. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's what happens when two of your best friends are musicians and also Formula One fans. Oh, that's perfect. That's a good blend. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to grab the first one, Tom? Yeah, so John T says DRS or push to pass. All right. Simple. All right. I I am an American. My answer is push to pass. Uh, I DRS is whatever. It's its own thing. I like the ability to just push a button on your wheel and you know you've got some seconds of power and you can just go do your thing. I'm all for it. I think that's the way we should be. If we're going to have artificial passing, that's the way we should do it. DRS. It's just See, I, I, I agree with you, but watching IndyCar yesterday and not being nearly as knowledgeable about IndyCar as I'm about F1. I was watching Grosjean with like 150 seconds left. And I was like, what is he doing? Why is he not using his push to pass? He can I, win this by miles. I think and he had messed up. Exp- I think there was something broken on it that he wasn't able to use it, which again, like is a very IndyCar problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't, second place is good. He finished the race. Uh, he just needed a good finish. <laughs> I'm starting to believe Grosjean's going to have his... IndyCar career of second places and never actually win a race because he keeps coming so close and <laughs> never quite funny. pays off for. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't I doubt it. Do. Like whenever he's gotten into a position where he could possibly win, he's always binned it. So <laughs> mm. <laughs> if he figures that that issue out, he might be. He might yeah. Be all set. 
seeing mm. Ericsson chasing down Grosjean was a bit like, I've seen this before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I use it. This. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, next question from our very own Stu, who has sent in a question for you, um, presumably because you're now our uh, F1 sponsorship expert. So we sent you a question go. about F1 sponsorship. Uh, what role do you see sponsors playing in supporting and promoting sustainability in the sport and how can they influence teams to adopt more sustainable practices? See, I think there, there's a possibility that formula one would be influenced by the money men into becoming slightly more sustainable, but we're also talking about big money corporations who are doing the sponsorship and they are not, generally invested in sustainability so it's kind of a vicious cycle of like you've got a lot of companies that do the greenwashing um mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what airline it was etihad uh recently got in trouble in the uk because they were promoting themselves as being more sustainable than they were uh that kind of stuff where it's like if the money actually cares Yes, Formula One would probably change in a split second, but right now the money is coming from oil and it's coming from Saudi Arabia and Formula One has shown that it is all about that life. Um, so it's it's interesting. I think perhaps one day we will see it when companies realize they have to survive by becoming more sustainable and we're not going to see Formula One make that push and we're probably not going to see companies themselves make that push until they absolutely have to yeah the the optimist in me hopes that the sort of e-fuel push that pat simmons has been Mm -hmm. working on sort of helps nudge things a little more in that direction but it's a long road i was gonna say we're still despite the fact that there are some very ambitious ev timelines like we're still pretty far (laughs) out from being in a world where that's gonna be a thing um, so it formula one is not going to be the pushing driving force on that front. Yeah. It, it's just not going to be that. No. And meanwhile, yeah. we've got formula E kind of seemingly trying to destroy itself at every opportunity, which is equally frustrating. <laughs> I know. I love that series so much, but damn. I know. <laughs> what are y'all doing? drop it that video where they dropped a car out of like the what plane. is that why even if it was cgi why what like, yeah what, what are message you are you trying to oh bizarre from utterly bizarre. formulary cars can fly yeah. oh boy we, <laughs> when cars can fly <laughs> i'll move us on from that one <laughs> um, sarah says hey man felipe massa has always seemed pretty okay with the outcome of the championship in 2008 what would be your guesses as to why he's suddenly going on about wanting the title from 2008 oh so i guess that's a good one mate let's quickly do a bit of context i guess for people who've maybe not seen this so essentially Filippo massa lost the championship in 2008 by a point to lose hamilton 2008 was also the year where nelson pk jr deliberately crashed in singapore to help Alonso win, which Alonso definitely knew nothing about. No reason to believe Alonso <laughs> knew about that. Why would he? Mm-hmm. Um, but now Bernie Eccleston has said that they actually knew about it while the season was still going on and sort of decided to do nothing about it. And some people wanted them to cancel the results of that race and decided not to. 
So as a result, Master is now, like, I think he said, exploring legal options around what can be done with that. Well, the I funny think thing is, this is like the ideal time because Formula One has shown its stewarding and officiating is a hot mess that with the right mm. amount of pressure, you can convince them to do the things you want them to do. So <laughs> perhaps that is why Felipe Massa has seen an opening here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's the only reason gonna... I can kind of think of. Like, otherwise, he did seem to be a gracious loser in that. Um, yeah. And it was frustrating but also like if i saw an opening where like i could kind of litigate my way into a world championship i would explore my options too i would i would see what i could do about it it's not the most glamorous way to win a championship by any means (laughs) but it's still a little something it makes me laugh that all this comes up, it's like, oh, okay, we'll just disqualify Renault from the championship. Mm-hmm. Hamilton wins a championship by even more points. Like, no, 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 not that. Don't do it yeah, that way. That let's way. let's find a different <laughs> way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, of it's going to be a very niche niche outcome for it to actually fall in his favour yeah. to begin with. Yeah, never mind the very fact that his championship fell apart that season when Ferrari sent him out of the pit lane in Singapore with his fuel hose still attached. Like, maybe yeah. that's your bigger issue there, Felipe. Yeah. Maybe you should yeah. litigate against Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just all Sue litigate? Sue them for emotional damage. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a few drivers and fans that could probably get away with that same motion. That's true. That's true. We can all, we, let's start a little coalition. <laughs> See, I think we should scrap it all and just give that championship to Robert Kubica because he was the best driver that season. And oh, it's only because BMW mm. were like, no, we'll get it next year. Don't worry about this season. Mm. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, next question from Harutaiki. I'm going to go with Harutaiki. Uh, yeah. Two-part question. High car versus low car and high car team versus low car team. Oh, baby. <laughs> so I'm assuming this is our... So the last time we, I was at the Donut Media office, we decided we were going to do promotional photos and Donut does this high car versus low car, you know, expensive versus cheap. So <laughs> I was in the high car team, so... High car team obviously wins. Uh, we were the fastest. We, <laughs> we were orange. <laughs> it was great. Uh, so I feel like that's a very roundabout way. Usually I'm low car, honestly, <laughs> because I've been driving the same Mazda 2 for, <laughs> I think, oh my God, it's 10 years now. Yikes. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I'm a low car guy. I like an underdog. Exactly. I love my Mazda. Like that thing transported an 11 foot bookshelf. (laughs) It's done its job. Wow. That's impressive. It, it took some finagling and some help from a kind fella in the Ikea parking lot, but we made it work. (laughs) (laughs) It was not safe. It was not up to code and legal advisory. Don't try that at home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, next one, Wes says, Hey y'all, as a supporter of the W series and hopefully that uh, the new F1 Academy project will be a successful one, uh, I would like to get Elizabeth's thoughts on the future of women in motorsport, um, the top open wheel drivers out there now, and which do you feel could actually be successful in F2? And do you think we'll ever see a competitive female race in Formula One? That's a big question. Uh, mm. I had a lot of reservations about the W series. Um, 
a lot of those were canceled out by the fact that I cried when I watched the first racing women on the podium. And that, that was just so exciting. It was like, okay, this, I get it. We'll work. We'll work with what we've got. Um, I think that this is, this has been a very pivotal point where we're realizing the widespread inequalities and a lot of like previous initiatives have actually started to pay off. So we've had these like introducing younger girls to STEM, introducing younger girls to carding. Uh, we're starting to see them come up the ranks, but there is a still a very huge drop off between carding and actually getting into an open wheel machine. Ideally, that's what the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. That's what the F1 Academy will address is breaching that gap, making it a little bit easier to go from point A to point B. And it's even easier to do that than it was for the W series, which I think is a great thing. Um, again, I still, I think there's still a lot of open-ended questions about the F1 Academy that has me skeptical about it, but that's like a skepticism because I want to see it pay off with some sort of prize if that makes sense mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. i want i want to know that they've they've achieved something and accomplished something um but yeah i think that we we are in a position where i think we could see very capable women competing in formula one i think jamie chadwick is obviously the person that a lot of people point to as being the like the best option but she is like i don't i hate to say it but she's kind of aging out um yeah she's in her late twenties now. Like I, I hate to like formula one has such a small window. Uh, it just makes it really difficult. Um, I think my personal hopes are laying with an American, uh, Chloe chambers who mm-hmm. was in W series last year was not the most spectacular, but she was a 16 year old record setter. Like this girl is doing high school and also competing. She's in the Porsche series this year. Uh, doing GT racing, which is like, it's so awesome. And I think she has like the drive and stuff just from having interviewed her and getting to know her where she's still young enough that she can work her way up, but she's, she still has a long way to go. That's my, that's why just my personal hope. I just, (laughs) someone, I don't (laughs) care who, like just get someone in there who's good. And I I think it's frustrating as well. Like all the years, Jamie Chadwick was, part mm-hmm. of the Williams program and just never got near a yeah. car. Like, and do, they didn't do and, anything with her. Like, yeah, that's, I like, think that's one of the frustrating things is we've seen so many. Um, oh, I can't even think the word I'm looking for. Just surface level um, efforts at stuff like this. Yeah. Like mm. I even think back to like Simona E. Silvestro and Sauber, like they signed her yeah. on as a reserve driver and that was nothing. Like that was just a, yeah, she's mm. here and on our payroll but like she's not actually doing any racing she's not in the car she's not testing like okay well well then what's the point you've just thrown us a bone and we're supposed to be happy about this when you've not actually done anything to advance her career like it i think that's the thing that we're currently stuck in a little bit that's gotten me frustrated is just seeing the Mm -hmm. we're still very surface level there's a lot of change that needs to be done still structurally for people to realize like you can't just say we signed a woman and have everyone applaud you and then you've done great things for mm. diversity you have to like do things and keep yeah, doing actually them. do something yeah i i personally think it's a bit of a shame that we got kind of so close to things 
potentially changing with like Susie Wolf when she was at Williams mm-hmm. to then have kind of um, it almost feels like despite W series, like at least at a Formula One level, things have kind of gone a bit backwards because yeah. of what's happened with Jamie Chadwick. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Susie Wolf did free practice sessions and young drivers yeah. tests and things like that. Like she was actively in the car and part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I don't know if it's like a, contractual thing as to jamie's contract was different to Susie's or whatever but it just seems a shame that someone with the talent that jamie had like i've i've watched her for years in the more junior formulas here mm-hmm. um that support like british touring cars growing through her career it through the exact sort of same feeder series as lando norris went through and really sticking it to the to the boys basically yeah. like she was a genuine talent and she was genuinely fast in comparison so it's a shame that she kind of reached this almost plateau yeah. and then nothing yeah. further has happened from it she, she it just got seems like sad when we got that yeah it yeah. was it's a lot of like lateral offers that she's received of yeah. like you can mm. stay on the same level but you'll sign with the formula one team but that's not going to get you anywhere like you can stay on this level but you can sign with the w series and you can win two championships three championships it's not gonna matter it's not gonna get you anywhere like it's just it's just silly it's just silly yeah, yeah. i'm i'm really hoping alpine kind of book that trend because they i think they've got i think they've got three women in their young driver program now mm-hmm. they've definitely got abby pulling who's mm-hmm. got huge potential and sophia flush as well they've got and yeah. it's like please you've you made yeah. a big point of like we've expanded our driver program and yes. like i think it was like two of the three new entries are women it's like great do something like exactly please. like I'm, I'm glad you yeah. have a young driver program but like yeah if they are not actually graduating into formula one mm-hmm. what's the point just a marketing exercise otherwise mm-hmm. yeah great uh last question this week from mike p uh hey man Elizabeth, I'm fascinated to hear about your recent Kota experience on the back of a BMW Superbike, oh, as am I. Uh, how do you feel after <laughs> some time has passed? Have you been bitten by the riding bug and do you think you'll take up street riding now? I will go and say, first of all, I do not think I will be a street rider anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as a, as a promotional event for MotoGP, Kota invited me out to do like a ride along on a BMW. Um, we hit 170 miles an hour on the backstretch. It was the most terrifying, exhilarating, thrilling experience of my life. Um, I got off that bike and I needed like 30 minutes to calm down. <laughs> I was like, I need a juice <laughs> and I need a snack and I need to just like <laughs> lay down for a minute. Uh, <laughs> it was it was really mind blowing. Uh, and Nate Kern was the the rider that I was kind of on the back with. Um he was telling me he's going about 25% with a rider on the back. I was like, this is the fastest I've ever moved through space and time in my entire life. And you're telling me there's 75 more percents to go. I felt every mile per hour. Like I felt all of it. Um, you have these little handlebars that you hold on to in front of the rider. As he turns, you have to take your hand off. Oh, like the the stress and the things you had to think about like <laughs> it was incredible um i definitely did get inspired uh, i have a dirt bike that <laughs> my brother bought it but my brother is really really tall so when he got on it it looked it looked like a monkey riding a tricycle like a gorilla <laughs> uh and he, so he never rode it any <laughs> anywhere and 
it just sat at my mom's house for ages and he was like do you want it and I was like I have some land like yeah I'll take it uh it, it, this has served as inspiration for me to fix it up and get it working again because it's nice. dead um it's not road legal it does not have any any paperwork at all but I have neighbors who have a couple acres who are like yeah whatever just don't scare the goats um <laughs> so off-roading I will consider that I will fall like I live out in Texas where it's sandy it's pretty reasonable to fall on um Otherwise, I have terrible, terrible balance, which uh, I was riding <laughs> bird scooters with Jolie and Palmer and Jack Nichols after the U.S. Sure. Grand Prix this year. This last year, I turfed it uh, <laughs> in the middle of the road into oncoming traffic and got honked at, but I still have scars <laughs> from that. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm probably... Actually, riding on the road is probably not in my future, but yeah, I will fall into some grass. <laughs> That'll be fine. <laughs> the way you're describing, like you said, sort of into corners, like you had to take a hand off and like lean with his body, and like yeah. just reading that kind of boggled my mind. Keeping track of that, and yeah, I so I like I had no speeds. I had no clue what I was getting into i like i was just like yeah let's go send it let's do it i want to do this and then i was like so i'm just gonna hold on to this guy right and it was like "Uh uh-uh you actually have a lot of thinking to do uh so yeah taking your hand off you had to hold it like at a certain part of his body so he could tell that your hand was off but that you were still stable and you had to move your leg and like open it wide so that he could move and then if I wasn't doing it, like we did have little in-ear headsets so he could tell me things, but like I, words were not happening for me. Like I wasn't processing or speaking anything coherent at that point. So he would have to like hit my leg to be like, all right, move, move it over, like lean, please. Um, oh, it was just, it was insanity. Uh, yeah, I, like nothing I've ever done has compared. I've been... I've done hot laps at Coda. I've been in two seaters for the Indy cars. Um, this was a whole, aside from like, I don't know, jumping out of a plane, I feel like <laughs> I couldn't get any more terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds incredible. And the mental capacity he has to be yeah, like reading what you're doing and talking to you and yeah, he's going 25% of his capacity, but he, we're like, we're going real fast. And you're still like <laughs> telling me about the sunset. Like at one point he was like, it's a beautiful day. Like we're riding into the sun. I was like, I don't even like, I'm not even registering anything right now. Like I just know that like hand on bike, <laughs> hand lift off, knee stay here, knee move. <laughs> um i think that's i think that's about we've got time for this week isn't it um i'll i'll do all the usual plugs in a minute but is anything you want to plug anything you've got going on right now nothing exciting go buy my book racing with rich energy uh listen to my podcast donut racing show read my words which are all over the place (laughs) uh yeah other than that like i really i appreciate you guys having me on this was really nice this is fun yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you. And yeah, your podcast comes out the day after hours, so people can yeah. happily listen to both and we won't tread each other's toes. So exactly. perfect. Wednesday, we're talking about tax fraud. So exciting. Good. 
that's not a subject that we've covered yet, but maybe we're missing a drink. There. there you go. No, it was, it's, we just ended <laughs> yeah. tax season tomorrow where taxes are. Oh, of course. Minutes, so. Yeah. At what cost? <laughs> yeah. I was like working out the square footage of the room my fiance uses as an office yesterday. It's like, why? Yeah. I, we, I just taxes filed just for get paid here. Like, I just we don't filed for an extension. I was like, yeah. I will deal with this in August. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah. Um, right then, I'll wrap us up. So we're in all the usual places, backthegrid.com, all the social media stuff. You know, always find us. If you want to know how to get involved with the Discord, you can go to patreon.com slash backofthegrid. Um, follow us on Twitch and all those things. Follow Elizabeth on Twitter for exciting things like motorbikes around Kota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah thank you again so much for joining us this has been really great thank you um, I appreciate and thank it. you everybody for listening and we'll see you next week where we can finally preview a race again can't we next week it's finally we the end of the gap Whew. yeah awesome uh yeah thanks everyone for listening and goodbye bye everyone <laughs>